Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. So we're looking tonight at the Global Atheists Convention that's been underway in Melbourne this weekend from a couple of points of view. First, here's an interesting take on it all from one of the world's most prominent atheists. And in a way, it's quite refreshing, I think, and certainly different. One of the criticisms of the so-called new atheists is that they seem to be just, well, angry and negative and carping so much of the time. I remember reading the online columnist David Pemothy last year who admitted this, My faith in atheism is being tested by born-agains, not of the Christian variety, but the obnoxious, pushy, ram-it-down-your-throat, born-again atheist variety, belligerent evangelists for their non-cause. He says that as an atheist himself. But Alain Dubotin is different in his runaway smash hit book, Religion for Atheists. He's arguing that atheists should steal from religion's best features because atheism seems a bit, well, empty. And he readily acknowledges the beneficial role religion has played in life, love, institutions, architecture, art, and especially a view of ourselves which encourages humility. And there's the whole thing of community as well. Alain de Botton's book has created lots of interest and debate, but people like my next guest are asking, how can you extract the source and power of all that is good, God, and still keep all the good? Richard Quadrio is senior pastor of Macquarie Chapel, and he's put himself out there on Word for Life to offer his thoughts. And I thought it'd be great to have him on Open House. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Lee. Terrific to see you. Do you find it somewhat refreshing that Alain Dubaton has uh, cut the carping and thrown away the angry pills? Absolutely. In fact, I think he's written this book in some way in response to Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and those more angry atheists. I think uh, one of his targets in writing the book is to say to those people that they're missing the point. They're missing a huge, they're missing all the good stuff. And uh, Dubaton is an interesting philosopher. He He's not academically very credible, but he sells thousands of books. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, he certainly seems to have hit the mark with the sales of this book. Absolutely. And uh, Lee, I'm a Christian. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I, I came to Christ as a 19-year-old. And I guess when I defend the faith, I say there's two reasons why I'm a Christian. One is because I believe it's true, and the other believe I believe that it works. And Alain de Baton starts his book, and in many times his book says it's not true. He doesn't defend that, explain that. It's just, a, just a, a, a statement. But then he basically says it works. He basically goes on to explain that the Christian faith actually does work. In fact, he doesn't specifically say that Christian faith works. He says faith works. And he looks at various things. But most of the book is about Christianity. And basically what he says is we miss out if we miss all this stuff. He then is hoping that atheism will pick it up somehow. But he's, he's realistic enough to realize that it actually won't. Yeah. Take us through some of the ways in which he's prepared to acknowledge the role that religion or faith has played for the good of our society, Christian faith. I think the biggest shock that I had in this book was yeah. that he, he defends Christian preaching. Now, no one defends Christian preaching. It's not Christian. But he, he says in the book... <laughs> I felt the earth move then. <laughs> no, I felt it move when I read it. You know, finally someone's defending me as a preacher, but it's an atheist. How weird is this? Just make the most of it, mate, wherever it comes from. But this from. is what he says. He yeah. says, the problem with lectures at university is they teach you information. They don't exhort you to live. Hmm. L- listen to this statement. He says this, In a world obsessed with freedom, there are few voices left that dare to exhort us to act well. And he then defends Christian preaching as this 
unusual thing that actually exhorts people to, to live well. Um, and yet he doesn't believe it. No, he doesn't believe it. But he, he acknowledges the result of it. You know, yes. He makes the point that, that atheism does not make you feel small in the universe. Atheism tells you that you're the centre of the universe. And faith traditionally has put you not small so that you're nothing, but small that you're something before the almighty God. And not small because you're bad. No, no. But well, he does make the point. <laughs> Strangely, he makes the point that the doctrine of original sin, he says this, is better than being told we're good all the time. <laughs> because he says atheism tells us we're good all the time, but it's blatantly pl- pl- not true. Yes. And so actually to acknowledge that there's something wrong with us, but then to lift us up. Alain de Botton loves architecture, and he loves the great cathedrals of Europe. And what do the great cathedrals of Europe do? Is that they make you feel small, but they lift you up to the heavens. Mm. That was their aim at the time. Yes. And Botton loves that. He loves the art. He, you know, he, he realizes that in that in that in art he is. Uh, uh, he says Christian art reminds us of all that matters. He realizes that atheism doesn't believe anything that matters. So it's a strange book because he he wants to encourage us to sort of go back and look at community and all these sort of things, but he also acknowledges much of Christian truth that he doesn't believe in. Yeah. So morality, love, kindness, Kindness. facing trials and death. Kindness is fascinating. He talks about how what is actually advocating in our society people to be good. And, uh, you know, on the issue of death, he he has this line. It's a beautiful line. I wish I'd written it. Atheism has no soul. Mm. It doesn't. And it doesn't acknowledge the soul. And he says, where do I go if someone dies? If a believer, they go to their pastor, their priest, their, their rabbi, their, 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 their faith community. Where do I go? To atheism? To a museum? Yeah. Yeah, what's going to help me in a museum? And uh, It's so interesting that it raises so many questions like that, but acknowledges that there's no answer, really, well, he's, to be fair on that. I think he simply starts with that there's no answer. I don't think he's really... Uh, he's, he's just... I mean, I could be wrong. I think he's on a faith journey. Yeah, I do. And, and yeah, he's not the first atheist, Lee, to come to faith. Totally. Um, and I, I tell you what, I read Richard Dawkins a few years ago, and I thought, gee, if this is true, I'm, you know, I can relax. You know, I can get a decent job, get well paid, you know. And I was disappointed reading Dawkins. It's just a, it's just a diatribe. Yeah. It's just a modernist diatribe. And, and Dupaton is so different from people like the late Christopher Hitchens, who says religion poisons everything. I mean, I love Christopher Hitchens. Mm. I thought he was a wonderful journalist and a Brilliant. challenging thinker. And yes. you got a, I, you know, there's a lot to love about him. But there was a lot that was ugly about his belief as well. And you know the story of Christopher Hitchens' brother? Yes, Christian. Know, who's who's a, a person who came to faith and wrote a wonderful defense of the faith. And he says that, you know, Peter Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens' brother, says he lived in Russia where he saw the result of a state that believed in atheism. And it was ugly. Yeah. He, and And... Christopher Hitchens' brother is the same, similar to, to Alain de Botton. You see the result of unbelief, and it's ugly. And de Botton loves architecture, he loves art, he loves meaning, and uh, therefore he wants to sort of try and somehow grab it back into atheism. Here's one question we frequently seek to make here on Open House. When de Botton talks about religion, I think he's probably talking more about Christian faith rather than an institutional or denominational religion, because... They are two different things. I think we have to make that distinction, religion and Christian faith. To be honest, when I read the book, I thought he would just be defending the outer bits, the religious bits, but he's not. He's, he's in a sense, seeing at the heart. For example, he talks in the book about the story of Job in the Old Testament. 
Yes. Now, what's the story of Job? He describes it as one of the most consoling texts in the history of mankind. That's exactly what it is. That's not about a church and religion. It's about a person relating to God one-on-one. And the size of God, too. And the size of God and where we fit in that. Mm. So, yeah, no, he likes the external things, architecture, art, but he also can see there's something deep within the soul. Should we acknowledge that the church has in ways failed to fulfil the yearning of which you speak of so many for something more or something bigger than ourselves, beyond the stuff we buy, beyond our job, even our family, sex, whatever we fill our lives with, that the vacuum is there in some ways because religion hasn't been coming up with the answers? It's interesting reading this book when you ask me that question because we beat ourselves up all the time as Christians about our failure of communicating. And here is an atheist saying, you're actually doing okay, guys. It's very, very strange. Or that the faith at its core is is good. For an atheist to tell me as a preacher, keep preaching, (laughs) is a strange thing. Now, he's saying that when most people don't believe what I'm preaching, Lee. Yes. He's saying, don't stop preaching it just because people don't believe it. Keep preaching it because because without it, we've got nothing. And, uh, you know, we've been looking at church as a church at the Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus doing? He's exhorting people to live the good life. Not the not not money, not 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 things, but what is good. And uh strangely I went away from reading this book feeling less negative about what we Christians are doing. Totally. If that makes sense. Yes. And more thinking, well, we've just got to get on with it and and remember that everybody we deal with is on a journey. Even those who seem a long way away. Even Richard Dawkins, I think, when I read his book, he's angry. And often anger is a sign that a person's troubled. You know, in, in, in your family, in your extended community, the, the person who's most troubled by faith, it's often because they're closest to faith. On Open House Square with Richard Quadrio. Richard, you say that Dubatoni is a sellout, not only to those with a faith in God, but also to atheists. Oh, look, so? atheists will hate this. Yeah. And uh, they will see it as a sellout because... He's acknowledging what's what's good. I mean, it's easy, any form of debate, it's easy to just rubbish the extreme of your opponent. So what Dawkins does is he takes the worst of Christianity. And there are bad bits of extremes of abuse of Christianity. Dawkins takes the worst and says, therefore, they're all rubbish. Mm-hmm. And de Baton takes the best and says, maybe we've got to think about this. Um, and and that's uh, you know I think that's a very helpful approach. You make a couple of interesting comparisons in your article to what Dubaton is trying to do, like keeping all the good stuff about life under God, but without God. Dubaton is you know he's a, he's a smartphone without the network. You know I I don't there's no point having a smartphone without being connected. You know if you can appreciate the outward form of religion, its ceremonies, its shell. Then when you get to the core, it's just so incredibly precious. Yes. It's, like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like seeing a picture of a family and thinking, oh, they look like a nice family, but then getting to know them and realizing that the dad's a wonderful guy and the mother's incredibly kind and generous and the kids are warm and they love each other. Oh, oh, the picture's nice, but actually getting to know it personally. And uh, yeah, that's my prayer is for, for all people is that they will you know, get a grip of, of how good God is and how we can know him. Yeah. I think one of Dupaton's notable observations or desires is the gift of community that's been such a key element of Christian faith right from the very start of the early church. Can we not have that without faith? 
It is interesting. I've often said at our church on special occasions, I've said I'd be part of this church even if I didn't believe in God. Yeah, okay. there, is, I mean, there is something special about being part of a community that believes something precious. Um, so community, and community is lacking in our culture when we're told all the time we're individuals and we don't, we're just this, you know, there's nothing binding us together. Uh, Alain de Baton looks at Christian communities, particularly in stress. He looks at, he talks about African community, African American communities or African communities when they were, when they were slaves mm. and how when they had nothing, what brought them together in song were these wonderful spiritual songs, but they didn't sing them as individuals. They sang them as a community. They lived together as a community. And, and you know, many Christians will tell you that, that they appreciated their church most in tough times yes. when they needed each other. And the problem, of course, is we're rich, we're happy, we think we can do it by ourselves, but we actually can't. Yeah. One of the things he seeks to encourage, which I think can be a tremendously helpful, even liberating thing, especially as you see humans operating in the social media world today, he wants us to embrace humility and an appropriate view of ourselves. But do you think he can really do it? I don't think he can do it without God. And I actually think in his book he actually says that. I think that he realizes that what uh, what an understanding of God does is it does two things. It makes us feel small compared to the vastness of God, and then it lifts us up because we're in relationship. Mm. And see, science, if you think about it, science can make us feel small. If you think how big the universe is, think how big we are, how small we are, it can make us feel small. But can it then lift us up and say that, that we were the pinnacle of the creation, that, that, that this was all created for us? Science can't do that. It can it can make us small. And Elaine Baton likes the idea of making us small and humble and recognise our faults, but then lifting us up to something greater and better. He'll make a great preacher, this guy. Does he acknowledge that there's nothing there by which we could be lifted up? No, he just keeps saying again and again that there isn't anything there. See, he's... You know, there are some Christians who are, who are Christians because they got raised in the Christian faith and they haven't really thought it through. Elaine Baton was raised as an atheist a very wealthy atheist. It's the funny thing about Baton. He's a multi-millionaire. He's worth about 150 million pounds. Good luck to him. <laughs> yeah, he came from money. You know? But um, and, and so to abandon atheism is a bit like, it's a bit like someone who's come from a, 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 a Thai background and Buddhism is, is absolutely part of who they are. You know? I almost want to say to Elaine Baton, you can be an atheist and be a Christian too. I don't care about the title. <laughs> call yourself an atheist who believes in Jesus. Yeah. Do you know? I, it's it's like I think he. Well, he'd have to accept that historical reality, really. Oh, of course, that's right. And he and and look, he 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 admires Jesus. Yes. He he loves the the artwork of the Middle Ages and in Europe where where they held Jesus up as a as a person of beauty. And Mary is a person of beauty. Look, there have been other atheists. Malcolm Muggeridge, you know, Malcolm Muggeridge, the yes. great atheist in England, was converted and became the great defender of the faith. And Flew, who was one of the great atheists in America in the 19th, 20th century, who came to Christ. It's tough for these guys to come to Christ because for anybody to be a Christian, we have to, in a sense, um, we have to die to self. Mm. And you have to die to your academic reputation as an atheist. That's tough. Especially when it's so public. Absolutely. Yeah. But on the other hand, we are raised up. Yes. Of all the elements in his book and his view of life and faith, I'm interested in the way he acknowledges, as the atheist cause rarely does, I think, acknowledge the need for us to face trials and ultimately death rather than either deny or ignore them. Well, listen to this quote, Lee. This is page 191. Remove God from this equation and what do you have left 
bellowing humans calling out in vain to an empty sky. I mean, how depressing, really. It is. The people in the history of the world who have really faced the bleakness of atheism know it is bottomless. When I went to university, Macquarie University, studied philosophy, my first lecture, the the atheist lecturer said, this is the point of philosophy, to teach you that you're an ant trapped in a bottle. There's no way out, and we're trapped. Day one, first year, Macquarie University. Now, I I coped with that because I didn't believe that. But what do the other people in the lecture theatre cope? Atheism ultimately is bleak. At the grave, atheism says, it's just a body. There's nothing. It's gone. It's finished. And you know, hardly anybody says that because they can't face that. They say things like, he's in rock and roll heaven, or, you know, there's all these euphemisms. Because you can't face the bleakness of atheism. It is a fearful thing. Yeah. And I admire an atheist that's at least honest. I admire an atheist that at least admits to that and then uh, recognises. The problem in Australia is we've got most, many people in Australia, they're, they're not atheists, they're just lazy agnostics who've never thought it through, materialists. And I'd always rather um, have uh, you know, a discussion with an atheist because at least they're thought about what they believe. It's always struck me as so intriguing and thought-provoking as a journalist. I've gone to lots of funerals in my yeah. job of people who would die in the course of a news story. And yet people who would never darken the door of a church and never acknowledge anything about God always want to incorporate that hope and hope of heaven. Yeah, I mean, it's interestingly that things are beginning to change in that area. We have an increasing number of secular funerals happening, celebrant funerals happening. And uh, it'd be interesting to hear your listeners' comments on this, but I, I've been to a few of them and some of them are just incredibly empty. And they're short because yep. there's nothing to do. And what the other thing that people fill up funerals these days with is a celebration of life. Now, that's fine. I've got no objection with celebrating a life. But funerals are about death. Funerals are about coming to grips with the fact that the person's died, not just that they've lived a wonderful life. Let's praise God for that. Let's do that. But a Christian funeral faces the ugliness of death. And when I was a young Christian and I went to Epping Presley Church, there was a few huge funerals. Young people died and things like this. And the minister used to stand in the pulpit and say, We dare to sing. In the face of death, a Christian believes in the resurrection of Jesus, believes in the hope of the resurrection. And what do we do? We sing at funeral services as we weep. It's not not that we don't weep, but we sing. If you don't believe in anything, you don't sing at a funeral because there's nothing to sing about. It's not nothing, you know, no talk about going to the Jordan and the other side and and all those wonderful images that are all in Christian songs. No, there's nothing to say. And, you know, I've been to funeral services where they, they don't have the scripture to read. So what they do, what the celebrants do is they fill it up with schmaltz. Yep. And it's jicky, oh, it's dreadful. I must say to you, the last conversation I had with my father, who was not a man of faith, he said, I don't want a funeral in a church. Never been a hypocrite. Never going to start now. Ultimately was sent off for an unaccompanied cremation. Terribly sad. Well, there's an integrity to that that you have to respect. There is. There's an integrity to that you have to respect. With the greatest of respect, That's right. yes. But there's a sadness as well. And it's a bit like, I remember as a high school student going to watch my cousins sing in their school uh, musical. And I remember going to it, my cousins were great singers, and thinking, wouldn't it be great to sing? Wouldn't it be great to be part of that? But it's not, not me. And I think people go to Christian funeral services with the same view. Wouldn't it be great to have something to sing about? Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. The reality is, I'm never going to learn to sing, Lee. But for, <laughs> Don't start now. <laughs> I won't. But for many of your listeners, no matter where they are on their journey, it's not too late. Yeah. 
to come back to God. You know, I challenge people to, to get involved in the church for a year, even if you don't believe. To be the atheist up the back asking questions. Be a spectator. Yeah, yeah. Sit in the back row. Be the first to leave. And just tip your toe in the door and have a look, you know. You say you're in this because you believe it's true and it works. I can understand how you might think a faith works. Why do you think it's true? I think it's true for me historically. I would start with Jesus. I think Jesus actually existed. I think he was a man that we've got to come to grips with. I think the I think he died on the cross. I think the best explanation of what happened to him is he rose from the dead. That all starts from me with Jesus. Of course, I then go back to the scriptures and try to make sense of the whole revelation of God. And then I look at the big picture and, and every bit of it makes sense to me. It makes sense that God's the creator. I don't want to have an argument with Richard Dawkins about how it happened. What was the order? How many days it happened? No, I just want to start with this. God created. And most people in the community still believe that in their hearts. You know why? Because when you stand at Echo Point at Katoomba, it just screams at you. Absolutely. You know? So that's the first bit, doctrine of creation, God created. Second bit is there's something wrong with us. And it's there's something wrong with humanity. And it's not just that other person. It's me. It's in my heart. There's there's a fallenness. There's a brokenness. Watch the news. Watch the news. You know, if, it, if it bleeds, if it, if it bleeds, leads. You know, yes, that, that, yeah. all that. It's, it's easy. Okay. Yes. So the doctrine of creation makes sense. The doctrine of the fact that we're fallen and we're separated from God makes sense. The fact that we need a saviour and that saviour is Jesus makes sense. When, when I first became a Christian, someone told me that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment for my sins. And my first reaction was, is that what it's about? I didn't, I, I don't know, I'd never heard that. Mm-hmm. And the more I understand that, the more I understand forgiveness and reconciliation and, and, and the grace that God's given me to call me back. And then finally, then my fourth big thing, creation, fall, salvation and glory. My hope then is that one day I will be with God in glory. Those four things, they, they, they make sense. They're, I think there's historical reasons to believe them, but they make sense of our world. Does it sound a strange thing to say, I'd like to go to your funeral, whenever that might be? Plenty of people say to me as a pastor, I hope you take my funeral. Yes. And I always say to them two things. I say, first of all, don't count on the fact that I won't die first. <laughs> you know, People get cancer and get run over and all that sort of stuff. Second thing, of course, is that you won't be there. You'll be in heaven with Jesus. Yeah. But I do like Christian funeral services. I like crying at them. It's, it's sad when we bury a brother and sister. It, it, it makes me weep. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Lee, and your listeners. I've, I, as a minister, I've taken funeral services. In the middle of me saying words, I'm saying to myself, is this really true? Do I really believe this? You know, because when the box is staring at you in the face, you then really got to say, do I really believe that this person has got to be true now? got to be true now. Yeah. I don't believe there's any better explanation I don't believe, even if the atheists are right and there's no God, they don't explain what's wrong with humanity. I read Richard Dawkins' book. He does not come to grips with sin. He's not got an answer for it. It doesn't fit evolution. We do such stupid things all the time that reduce our chance of developing, if if you believe in evolution. And Dawkins cannot deal with it. So for me... There isn't an alternative. Your listener has one tonight. I'm happy to hear it. one three hundred forty twenty twenty. And in the midst of that, though, there's hope. There is great hope. And I love the idea. This is what I love about the Christian faith. We face the bleakness and the reality of life. We don't mollycoddle. Hmm. People think that churches and pastors are not in touch with reality. They are really in touch with totally, reality. Totally. But we live in hope. The hope in this life you know, no matter how bad things are in one of your listeners' life tonight, we live in hope in this life that the wheel's going to turn tomorrow in some small way. But our hope is ultimately beyond that because if you've got stage four terminal cancer and 
you've stopped chemotherapy and the doctors, and I've been with plenty of people, the cheer squad ends. You know, the doctors, it's all there. The cheer squad's there. And then they hand you over to the palliative care who are the most blessed people I've ever met. Totally. Then our hope is in heaven. And I've seen the saints struggle as they die and lift their hearts in hope to God. And that's what people have done through the centuries. And that's, that links us. That links me to the art and the architecture and all those things Elaine Batone likes. It links me into this community. And when I hear Johnny Cash singing about meeting his wife on the other side of the Jordan, it's corny, but it's wonderful. Yes. <laughs> Richard Quadrio, I'm so glad you've kicked our discussion off tonight on Open House. Thank you so much for joining us. Lee, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, a blessing to all your listeners. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.